Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning, good morning. I am Carmen LaBerge. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. If this is your first time here, uh, let me tell you what we do. So we take the headline news of the day. We seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear. Our goal is to um, equip Christians to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and to do so in ways that honor Jesus. We believe the Bible. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, and it's a thrill to uh, be with you this morning. And so wherever, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, uh, thank you for engaging in this conversation um, because I, I think God belongs in all the conversations of the day. Uh, and I think that um, God wants to be represented in ways that are honest to who he is and his view of things. And Christians are the people to make that happen. So if you've ever wondered what in the world you're in the world to do, as a Christian, you are in the world to be an ambassador of the king and the kingdom, bringing kingdom realities to bear. Uh, And so, you know, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're also sort of praying into our own responsibility related to that, that we are the people who bring uh, those kingdom realities into uh, the day-to-day warp and woof of life. So... I read this this morning from the Associated Press. Um, It's actually a story out of Bemidji, Minnesota, um, and it's about how COVID has fueled the drug crisis and um, overdose epidemic, not only across the United States of America, but particularly in Native American communities. And so uh, Native Americans have been particularly hard hit by what we would call a dual pandemic. And part of that is there were already these like comorbidities, uh, these realities in Native American communities that uh, allowed not only the the COVID pandemic, um, but and the isolation that it wrought, um, but then also the epidemic now pandemic of drug overdoses. Um, So. I encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, the Associated Press is not hard to find, so it's just apnews.com. Um, and consider that it is for these that Christ came. Like, I think there's sometimes that we imagine that the good news of great joy for all people is, well, you know, just for us. And since we've got it, well, that's enough. But it really is intended to be the good news of great joy for all people. It is the good news of great joy for all people, but all people do not yet know the good news of great joy. And so I think there are times that we ask ourselves, well, the good news of great joy, really for those people? Yes. For me? Yes. For mine? Yes. For them, those people over there? Yes. God wants them all, all of them, every single one of us and every single one of them. Which just leads me to encourage all of us to robustly not only sing, but live into the reality of go and tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ is born. 
While shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. The shepherds feared and trembled, and lo, above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Down in a lowly manger, our humble Christ was born and brought us all salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Let us be the people who go and tell it on the mountain and over the hills and everywhere that all people everywhere, all of them, would come to know the good news of great joy that is for all people. We'll be right back. Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. All right, joining us now, Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson, one of my uh, just favorite men in ministry and brothers in Christ, Daryl, welcome back. Carmen, great to be with you. That's so Merry kind. Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Yeah. Merry Christmas. So, yeah, Merry um, Christmas to you. You know, we've had uh, we've had some tornadoes on my side of the city, and um, we're we're all good. And you know, God's people, they have been uh, quick to rush to the aid of neighbors, and uh, and we are continuing to clean up um, out here. But it brought to mind the tornado that tore through your community just before the COVID lockdown in early 2020, and I thought. You know, it'd be good to reflect on the recovery, the changes in the community since that time, um, and the reality that it takes a long time for people to recover from things that not only scare us, um, but that do, like, change our lives. Really does. It it shapes our lives, really, forever. Uh, when I was at a friend's house yesterday, and they were delivering a uh, storm shelter to the to the home uh, that they had just bought. These tornadoes that came through your you know your your uh, on your property also hit my neighborhood, and um, so my house was unaffected. But most every house around me uh, will be getting a new roof, or uh, five or six homes in my neighborhood were were totaled, and so no loss of life, no major injuries. <clears throat> we're thankful it was a. In the scheme of things, it was a mild tornado, an EF1, but um, but it does affect our lives, and it affects kids' lives. We're talking to students and teachers on a regular basis, and um, you know when storm watches uh, come across the you know the TV or uh, t- storm warnings, uh, kids really are struggling, and so to in how they respond, and there's a lot of fear. So it does take a long time. To uh, to kind of move past it, we still got a school that's completely leveled. It's being, I think they're breaking ground in the next. If they haven't this week, it'll be soon after the first of the year. So we're two years out from that now, almost, and um, we're still having weekly meetings uh, f- to help people um, with tornado recovery, uh, floods. We're back in the spring, um, so uh, people are are in a in a disheveled place right now, at least in our neighborhood, and it takes it takes a while to to move past that. I will say, like you have experienced, um, neighbors coming together and helping neighbors has been phenomenal. Uh, our mm-hmm. community has responded, and um, people are helping one another. And organizations have been helpful, but it's really been the the neighbors next door who have really been the ministries of ministers of mercy uh, to one another. And so that's been 
you know, the, the tornadoes and tragedies are never, are, they're tragic. They're never good. But they do um, bring out um, uh, our neighbors from our front, you know, out, out of our, from behind our privacy fences. And we get to know one another and uh, build community. So I'm thinking, um, Daryl, of an experience that I had in coastal um, Mississippi following Hurricane Katrina. Our church um, just partnered with a local congregation. Their building had, you know, been completely wiped clean of its foundation. Um, But their property became like the place that, you know, the Baptists parked their, you know, giant Mm -hmm. semi-trucks that the sides fold open and there's showers and there's washers and dryers and, um, and there's a kitchen and all of that. And so then it became like a tent city. And so those of us who would come to town to volunteer for a period of time to set up our tents there and... Um, it just it became this outpost of service in that particular community. And I remember um, the pastor who, I mean, remarkably, I mean, one of the things I remember about him is that he's blind. Um, mm. But just this just this amazing young gentle man. And um, and he made the commitment that very first Sunday, <clears throat> we're not going to rebuild this house until every house in the community has been rebuilt, until every family is back in their mm. house. We're not, you know, we as the people of God aren't building, rebuild. it took them 10 years. It took them yeah. 10 years before they started, you know, actually rebuilding the local church, the facility of the local church, because, you know, that's just the external commitment that they had to the people around them. I, it does change us. It does, these, these events, though catastrophic, um, they change us. They change us personally. They change our communities. They change how the church responds. They change how the community sees the church. So um, Daryl and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We're going to talk about the the importance of long-term recovery and the commitment we have to make to each other for the long haul. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So Daryl Crouch um, heads up an organization uh, called Everyone's Wilson. You can check it out at everyoneswilson.org. It is a collaborative effort within one community to bring churches and businesses and nonprofits together around the schools in their county so that every student, educator, and family can thrive. It is a transformative effort. It's different than what's going on in a lot of places um, it's inspiring, and so I just invite you to check it out at everyoneswilson.org. Uh, Daryl, let's talk about long term. Let's talk about um, you know this isn't this isn't just showing up one day in one moment of um, of crisis and you know hauling off a load of trash. Um, talk talk with us about the kinds of things that transform a community over time and what it takes to make that happen. Well, your your uh, example of the church in New Orleans not rebuilding their building until every home is established and uh, re- rebuilt is is super inspiring and is a kind of a parable for what we think that we should uh, be doing in our communities as a as a church as a kingdom people. And so, I think the the one of the most important things that we've seen happen in our communities is that churches uh, are shifting their par- uh, their paradigm 
to a more missional strategy, such as you've described in New Orleans, that we exist for the welfare of the city. And so the way that we think about church and the way that we think about ministry shifts when people are, uh, when a community is in crisis. And we don't normally feel that our communities are in crisis because economically we're we're, we're, we're advanced and um, we have infrastructure, we have educational systems and so on. But the brokenness, the spiritual brokenness and emotional brokenness that exists in our communities are at crisis levels. So as the church sees itself uh, stepping into darkness with the light of the gospel, and we see ourselves as missionaries in our own community, I really do think it changes the way that we structure church and the way that we think about church. Um, I believe that the local church is the hope for the world. And so gathering on Sunday and praying together and singing songs to, together and 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 um, uh, learning under the preaching of God's Word and growing in grace together are all incredibly important and primary to who we are as the people of God. But from there, that out of that grows a missional mindset that we are missionaries in our own community. And um, the, the brokenness that is um, so profound is bleeds into, in our case, we are meeting with schools almost every day, um, and every principal, every teacher has spoken to the social and emotional uh, crisis that their kids are in. And mm. so these are under the surface that you don't see them like the normal guy going to the grocery store doesn't see that because the building is intact and the groceries are on the shelf. But what's going on at home and in the hearts of these of our kids and families is uh, incredibly, um, um, well, it's very concerning. And I left a middle school the other day just sobered by the, 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 the comments that the principal made about her students and with great compassion. And, and by the way, principals and teachers are just rock stars. They are bringing it every day with creativity and energy, but the needs are just enormous. And so I think for us as a church to see our, oh, excuse me, to see ourselves. Uh, we can hear the dinging ourselves. in the background, but it's okay. Yeah, I don't know. I've tried to uh, <laughs> it's okay. silence that. I don't, know. Silence I don't know how to silence mine either, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So my point, uh, and who would be texting me at 621 anyway? I'm not sure. So, uh, but the... Um, uh, it's your I fans, man. Just, it's your it's fans. fans. They're, they're it's calling your fans. in early. Yeah, they're calling <laughs> in early. But I just think it changes the dynamics of church life and how we see ourselves. And and if it doesn't, then we, um, in, in our community, the, the population is growing like crazy. So um, mm. homes are being built and people are coming. And um, a lot of them are bringing money, you know, from the West Coast or the East Coast or something. And those are the ones we hear about. But a lot of them are not in that category. And uh, so the disparity of a spiritual and emotional and financial uh, brokenness is only going to grow. And so if the church doesn't pivot and say, hey, we're not, it's not a y'all come and listen to us on Sunday. And if you don't, we'll move on to the next person. It's a, we're your neighbor and we're going to love you uh, whether you ever come to our church or not. You're our neighbor and we are going to give ourselves to you. And, um, and I think that pivot uh, is beginning to happen in our community in a tornado and a flood and a pandemic uh, and another tornado um, has um, brought some of that to light, I think. 
All right. People are asking, you know, who's the pastor and what's the church? Um, okay. So it, it's Lakeshore Baptist Church. You can find it at lakeshorebaptist.net. The pastor's Don Elburn. Um, he's just precious. And um, yeah, you should check out what they're doing on in coastal Mississippi all these years after Hurricane Katrina. Um, it, it, Don's one of those guys. Uh, this is the little church that was his very first call. He's been there since 1994. Um, and I don't think he's going anywhere. Because because from there, so, God has enabled him to go everywhere, right? Because the whole world comes to Lakeshore. It's just incredible. That's right. So good. Um, yeah, it's so good. Um, so I had a, an experience, Daryl, that I thought you would appreciate. So after um, the tornadoes out here, my husband happens to be very, very not only gifted and talented with a chainsaw, but with machinery, and he owns all those toys, um, having served as an yeah. arborist for 30-some years. So... Uh, it didn't take him long that morning to get out there um, and cut a path down our street and then, you know, start cutting his way back to our neighbor's houses to be sure that people were not only okay but could get out. Um, and we have a new neighbor down our road um, who is from California. And I got to tell you, the whole exercise was just met with tremendous suspicion. Yeah. yeah <laughs> the whole exercise to like freely serve. Yeah. Like, no, no, yeah. we're really just here to help. We re- really, no, no, we're really just here to help. Like, no, we don't want That's anything. Right. No, no, we're really, no, we're really just here to help. Um, it's, uh, and I just, I'm just holding out hope. I'm trusting God yeah. that that is going to open up the possibility down the road for a like furrowed brow conversation where they finally ask like, okay, seriously, what yeah. was that all about? Because I just yeah. feel like, right, there's an opening. There's an opening. There is an opening. In my neighborhood, we were standing in the commons area, and we have this little commons area with tennis courts and so on. And after the tornado came through last Saturday, and, um, you know, one, one, of, one of my neighbors looked at me and said, this is community. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we jet in and out of the neighborhood. We go by one another on our, on our roads. Uh, we, we might wave. We may not. Usually don't, we don't uh, anymore. And so... I think our neighbors, uh, many of our neighbors, really don't understand, and and a lot of us have gotten away from this biblical hospitality that your husband demonstrated, that uh, we think of hospitality as having somebody over for dinner, and that could be true, but but just this idea of making room for people in our lives, making time and room margin for other people who can do nothing for us in our lives— as long as ministry is transactional, it will never be transformative. And um, we found ourselves, you know, sometimes in that place where it's, we have something for you. Do you want it? Great. If you don't, then we, again, move on. But for your husband to, to go and serve his neighbor, serve your neighbors with, with open hands, no strings attached, uh, that, can, that becomes transformational. Um, and that's, you know, that's the love of Christ. And that's the power of his love through us to our neighbors. And and those things make a difference. It's not just acts of kindness. I, I, I don't minimize that, but it is a giving of ourselves to our neighbors that uh, makes the difference. And um, people, loving people really well can go a long way. But yeah, there's a, there are walls. Um, people have all kinds of walls up, but tornadoes seem to bring those walls down. Um, and, uh, so, yeah. yeah, I will tell you that for the, um, uh, for the man who is a lover of trees, um, it's, you know, yeah. it's hard. And his, you know, Jim has been one of those guys, Daryl, who, um, 
you know, when he sees a fallen tree, like he will remind all of us, like this is evidence of the fall. Like, right. This is yeah. like literal evidence. This fallen tree is literal evidence of the fall. And it gives him opportunity to talk about the new creation and, you know, why in the world that. God made so many varieties of green. And I mean, you know, on and on and on. So um, yeah. we're right now, right now, there's just this, these endless opportunities to not only have that conversation, but, um, but seek to bring some um, something beautiful out of what has fallen. So, you know, there are those out here who are recovering particular trees with the hope that, you know, one day that will be a beam or one day that will be, yeah. uh, you know, a piece of furniture or on and on and on. So it's just an, it's a very interesting um, conversation and exercise in restoration and reclamation. And, and it's a gospel opportunity, as is everything. It's a wonderful, it really is. Yeah. And And I know we've said so much about the pandemic over the last uh, 20 months, but with all the con- controversy around uh, vaccines or no vaccines or whatever it is, uh, all creation groans. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, these, these conversations that we're having to have are just illustrations of that um, the darkness cannot apprehend the light. And so a fallen tree or a, a disease that we're not com- you know, familiar with, um, a, a storm that <clears throat> wrecks our world, um, you know, these are opportunities, as you say, for gospel proclamation, that uh, the, there is a remedy, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. We love you. Merry Christmas. Best to your family and yours. Um, we hope you'll join us in the new year. I, I, I love it. I'm so grateful for y'all. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll be right back. So how are you planning to celebrate Christmas? What do you think of as an important or essential Christmas traditions? How do you celebrate Christmas in a place where being a Christian is not only illegal, but might cost you your life? And how much would your traditions like stand up in that kind of environment? How do you celebrate Christmas when it's the fifth Christmas that you have spent as a refugee how do you how do you bless your children or your spouse or your parents when it's your fifth christmas not in your homeland and not in a home the stories we read in the bible about mary and joseph and all the other people of the roman empire who had to travel to um, you know their place of origin in order to be counted in the census in the days when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Like those are real places, those are real people. That was that was a real census. The stories of those shepherds in those fields, those were real people shepherding real sheep for a real purpose. Those uh, wise men who saw that natal star and gathered up the gifts that had been prophesied in Isaiah chapter 60, they got together the gold and the frankincense And they traveled thousands of miles because hundreds of years before, a guy named Daniel, who had been a real real person, enslaved, an enslaved person, had told them, hey, one day, guys, a Messiah is coming, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And, And it'd be good if you remember this and you plan to go and worship him. These are the gifts you should take. Those stories that we read in the Bible about those places and those people, 
those are still real places and real people still live there. And some of them are Christians. Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs just returned from visiting with our brothers and sisters in Christ in countries across the Middle East. He joins us next to tell us how they're celebrating Christmas. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. In John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If you are dealing with a wayward teen, you know how it feels to be relationally fatigued, emotionally beaten up, and personally worn down, all at the same time. So if you need a good measure of peace this Christmas, it's time to stop worrying and start praying. Spend a few minutes each day reading God's Word. Be still in His presence and entrust your problems and your team to Him. Even though we're guaranteed to have trouble in this world, in Christ, we have everlasting peace. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Now, Todd Nettleton. Uh, Todd is the host of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, VOM Radio. He's also um, the spokesperson for the Voice of the Martyrs, and he has just returned um, from spending time with our Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Todd, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. Well, I'd love for you to um, sort of share with us news from the cradle of Christianity how um, how did you find things among our brothers and sisters in the Middle East? You know, the, the great news is hope, and we talk a lot about hope at Christmas, and they have hope. Uh, there were some, some kind of frustrating stories as well, though. One, one of those is uh, the, the refugees that fled ISIS five and six and seven years ago. Uh, we met with some of those families. Now, most of them, uh, if you think about the city of Mosul, you think about some of the Christian villages surrounding Mosul, they fled to Turkey, they fled to Lebanon, they fled to Jordan, and we met some of those families who five years later, six years later, they're still in those countries, they're still waiting to be resettled somewhere in the West, and while they're in that waiting process, in, in that limbo, they have really no legal status where they're at, so they cannot hold jobs, uh, their kids are not welcome at the public schools. Uh, they literally have just really just been sitting and waiting for five years to go to another place. One of the men we met said eight years for him that he has been in that process. And uh, so that was a little bit discouraging because we we talked about these people five years ago. We prayed for them when ISIS was on their doorstep. Uh, and then I think they kind of fell under the radar for the church in, in the world. And it was just kind of like, oh, well, they're out of Mosul. They must be fine. Uh, but they're not fine. They, they are still suffering. Now, a little sliver of hope. One of the families we were with had just found out that they have been welcomed by Australia. They will resettle in Australia within the next 30 days. They will be there. And the excitement on their faces as, as the husband and father talked about, I can get a job. I can work. I can start making money again. Uh, the son talked about, I can go to school after more than five years. I can go to school again. I can continue my education. The excitement on their faces was wonderful, uh, but then we thought of the hundreds and hundreds of families who are still waiting, still stuck, 
uh, and, and it was a little discouraging that that particular part of the trip. Yeah, so many people um, stuck because of, I mean, you know, genuinely global political issues and agendas and um, racial and um, religious hostility, one people to another. And in that way, Todd, like I look at this and I say, nothing really has changed since the days in which the angels announced to shepherds in a field um, that the Messiah was coming, that that Christ would be born. Um, And so talk with us about life in the Middle East and how similar it is to what we read in the Bible and the ways in which it is very dissimilar from um, the days in which Jesus was born. You know, one of the things that is very similar is the culture and the honor-shame culture that exists in that part of the world. And uh, one of the things that we met with people who had left Islam to follow Jesus Christ, and in doing that, one of the things they had done is they had brought shame on their families, at least in that culture, in that context. It's like, wait a minute, what kind of parents were you that your son would leave Islam and follow Jesus? What kind of family were you? That same honor-shame culture existed in biblical times. And you think about Mary coming home pregnant and the shame that her family felt. And Joseph saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and marry my betrothed Mary. Uh, that was taking on shame because everyone would look at that and say, wow, what, you know, what's going on here? What, what kind of, you know, what kind of family are you that this could happen? Um, so that part of that hasn't changed much uh, in, in all those years. Obviously, there are certainly differences now, the technology differences, the animosity, the, the national lines that have been drawn since then. Uh, but one thing you still see, and if you, if you read the Bible through the eyes of a Middle Easterner today, and you see some of those honor-shame things come through, it really brings life to the story and you kind of see behind the curtain what's really going on and what what the people are thinking as those actions happen. So we're talking with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs. Um, If you're not familiar with VOM, um, let me encourage you uh, to check it out. You can you can find Voice of the Martyrs at persecution.org. Do I have that right? I haven't pulled it up right. I haven't pulled it up this morning. Okay, see, persecution.com. I'm glad I asked. Persecution.com. If you're not familiar with Voice of the Martyrs, let me just really encourage you to check it out. Um, We talk with Todd from time to time. I think the last time we talked was about the International Day of Prayer for um, for the church around the world, for persecuted, uh, the persecuted church, which is really the church um, as we have that conversation. Um, VOM also produces a global prayer guide, which my family has found very, very useful. Um, the stories there of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are posted, um, and it's a it's a great place to connect. If you if you're just lacking a point of connection with the reality of our brothers and sisters in Christ, the people with whom we're going to spend eternity, if you're lacking a point of connection, Voice of the Martyrs uh, exists to provide that. So check it out, persecution dot com. Todd and I will be right back. We're talking with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs. You can find Todd and lots of resources and stories about what's happening with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world at persecution.com. Todd, um, 
you know, you make the observation that, you know, God is obviously still at work uh, in the region where, you know, the shepherds watched their flocks by night and uh, and the wise men saw that natal star and thought to themselves, hey, wasn't there a guy who once told us this would happen and we should get together those gifts that that other guy told us uh, and we should haul some uh, some gold and some frankincense uh, and, and find this king of kings and lord of lords. Like this region of the world is still a place where God is working. Um, maybe, you know, share with us something else that you experienced when you were uh, recently in the Middle East with Christians. One of the young men we met, and one of the great privileges of this trip is my wife was able to go with me, and, and we met a young man the same age as our oldest son, so that, that connected with us instantly. But uh, this young man uh, was born into a very devout Muslim family. Uh, he got into his later teenage years and started looking at uh, the life of Muhammad and the teachings of Muhammad. And as he looked deeply into those things, he realized that what Muhammad said and what Muhammad did were two different things. He, he didn't live up to his own teachings, and that began to plant a seed of doubt in his mind. He's like, wait a minute, why would I follow a, a prophet who didn't do what he told me to do? Uh, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And so he began to look at other options. And in the course of looking at other options, he found Jesus Christ and made the decision. Jesus actually did what he said he did. When he said love other people, he actually lived that out. Uh, and so he became a follower of Christ. Now, his devout Muslim family obviously was not very happy about this. Uh, and in fact, they tried to kill him. Well, one of his brothers hit him in the head uh, with an iron, split his head open, but thankfully it didn't kill him. Uh, today, they have stopped trying to physically kill him, uh, but they act as if he's dead. Uh, they, If he walks into a room, they will not acknowledge him. They will not speak to him. They will not help him. They will not give him anything. Uh, it, it is as if he is dead to them. Uh, and I asked him, you know, he's, he's a young man and he's lost his family relationships. And in that culture, that is such an important thing. And I asked him, you know, have you ever had second thoughts? Now, this has cost you so much. Have you ever thought about, wow, you know, if I was still a Muslim, my, my family would be nice to me. And, and he said, no, no, no. How after I have experienced the truth, how could I go back to the lie? How could I go backwards to that? I've never had second thoughts about following Jesus Christ. And so uh, this young man who is paying a price, he's still paying a price. And yet he says, no second thoughts. Jesus is the truth. Mm. I mean, paying the price every day, um, but no second thoughts. That sounds like counting the cost um, in an ongoing way. Like, right, I think there's just a lot of people, Todd, who— um, take Jesus for granted. They take the they take Christmas pretty casually. It's pretty easy in America to celebrate Christmas. In fact, it's harder to not celebrate Christmas in America than it is to celebrate it. Right? It's 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 almost impossible to avoid it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think that the perspective of what our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are experiencing it's just so healthy for us to consider. Right? The this place that is the cradle of Christianity is not a place where Jesus is worshipped and glorified, his birth celebrated, um, you know, by by a large majority of people in the region. I, I guess there's a part of me that wonders why you think that's so. Why do you think that in the cradle of Christianity, Jesus is so unpopular? You know, it's that is a great question, and some of it is cultural, some of it is the rise of Islam. But I love 
I love the phrase you use, counting the cost. Well, one of the things about choosing to follow Jesus in America is you can do that without counting the cost, because probably nobody's going to be radically opposed to you. Probably you're not going to suffer. And so you can get down the road with Christ quite a ways before you have to think about, wait a minute, this is going to cost me something. When our brothers and sisters in the Middle East come to Christ, they know there is a cost. <laughs> they, they know before before they make that decision, this is going to cost me. This is going to cost me my family relationships. This could cost me my job. It could cost me where I live. It could cost me my life. So they have counted that cost before day one, before they make that decision and say, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. Whereas we can, like I say, get down the road before we've counted the cost. And then when the cost comes up, we're like, wait a minute, I, you know, I didn't know this wasn't part of the deal. I, the, Jesus was supposed to make my life better and easier, and and now it's harder. Well, what's going on? They have already crossed that bridge when they make that decision because they know full well this is going to cost me something. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking here of um, Jesus's words to his disciples in in Luke chapter nine. You know, he talks about you know denying yourself and taking up your cross daily and. And following him, that's deny, deny yourself every day and die every day. It is a conversation about this internal desire we have to somehow preserve or reserve our life, to save our life. And if we do that, if we sort of save it for ourselves or hold back something for ourselves, as if you could, um, that, you know, in that is death, like it's lost. Like if anybody who thinks they can do that, that's not the way discipleship works. Um, I, I, what have you observed in Christians who are living in situations where there's real persecution? Like, what's the, what's the witness and testimony of those brothers and sisters to us who live in America? Like, what do you think they would say to us about Christmas? You know, the, the constant thing that I see as I go and meet with persecuted Christians is the joy of the Lord. And it's one of, it's so counterintuitive when you when you see, you know, we talk about a young man whose family has completely rejected him and tried to kill him. And yet he is joyful. You see joy. We had the amazing privilege of seeing uh, three new believers from a Muslim background be baptized. Uh, and as soon as we walked in the room, we could have pointed out the three who were about to be baptized because the joyful expression on their face just lit up the room. Like you didn't have to wonder who was being baptized. Like, oh yeah, one, two, three, there they are. Look at their faces. Look at, and and we don't speak a word of Arabic. They don't speak a word of English. And yet we could instantly say, hey, those are our new brothers and sisters. Those are the folks who are about to be baptized. So that joyfulness. And when you think about the story of Christ, and you think about the shepherds, and you think about the wise men, and you think about good news of great joy, that is still what's being perceived in the Middle East. When when you come to a Muslim and say, there is a God who loves you, who wants to have a relationship with you, he wants to speak to you, he wants you to speak to him, that is good news of great joy. And so that that's the the thing that immediately pops into my mind is just the joy of the lord that that you can see on faces yeah amen we have um we have a friend jack checking in on our text line um todd and he's sharing with us um uh, actually following jesus um has cost me here in america my children have alienated themselves from my wife and i 
because they do not want Jesus. And then he adds one more word, yet. We do hold out hope. Yeah, we do hold out hope. I also think that, you know, the the reality of becoming the family of faith, the family of God, the household of God, genuinely becoming brothers and sisters in Christ, this is my mother, these are my brothers, you know, the words of Jesus himself in relationship to the people who um, follow God, want to know God, uh, versus those who don't. Uh, And that's a hard, that is really hard. It is really hard to recognize that the, um, the familial relationships that we might have because of our genetics are not the familial relationships we will necessarily have for eternity. That's heartbreaking, but that is true. It is so true. And, you know, as, as the texture says, he's experiencing that in America. Uh, our friend that we met in the Middle East is experiencing it there. We met another lady whose husband has rejected and abused her since she came to Christ. Uh, it Very true. And, and I love the way you say that. Our genetic family is not going to be our family for eternity necessarily. We hope they will be. Uh, but our spiritual family are going to be with us through all eternity. Yeah. Amen. Todd, as always, thank you so much. You guys can find Todd Nettleton at Voice of the Martyrs, persecution.com. Be sure you um, you bookmark it. Check in from time to time on what's happening with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Be sure you pray for them this Christmas. Recognize um, that as we celebrate Christmas with so much freedom and with so many resources and with so much comfort, others are celebrating it in um, in a very, very, very different way in very different circumstances around the world. Let's be mindful of them, praying for them, and supplying for their needs. Todd, as always, thank you so much for bringing us their stories. You're welcome. We'll be right back. Hey, I absolutely um, recognize those of you who are chiming in about what you've experienced in your own families um, in relationship to your choice to follow Jesus. Um, And let me just say, as your sister in Christ, you are loved and certainly here you are not shunned. You are welcomed. You are celebrated. We're going to spend eternity together. um, And clearly the mandate of the church to become the household of faith, to genuinely become family um, in very, very real ways for one another is is imperative in not only this generation, but in the days which are to come when the Christ followers will be shunned by many and most. All right, we have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.